Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Hi, podcast listeners. Welcome to another episode. Thank you so much for tuning in from wherever you are tuning in around the world. Hey, Wendy, I have something to tell you. What? I forgot. Okay. We'll talk about the other thing we're going to talk about in the next episode. Okay. Because this is really exciting. Remember the time? Remember the time when when I said at the beginning of a podcast, uh, I was imagining where people were listening to us. Yeah. And I was imagining that someone was in a shower with... <laughs> Yes, Remember that? Yes, yes. Well, guess what? <laughs> what? At the Made for More event that I just did in, uh, where was I? Michigan. Uh-huh. <laughs> this woman came up to me. <laughs> no. And she said, you were calling me out because I was listening to you in the shower. <laughs> she said, tell Wendy you're not crazy because you thought I was a little crazy uh, for saying yes. But I knew somebody was out there. Listening in the listening shower. Listening in the shower. And she revealed herself. I mean, she didn't reveal herself in that sense. She she revealed. She let that she you was, know. She let me know. Oh uh, well, hi. <laughs> so there awesome. are people who listen to us with their their waterproof, you know, earbuds or waterproof speakers Speaker. or whatever mm -hmm. in the shower. So if you're in the shower listening to us, yeah, we hope it's a good show. <laughs> right. That That's funny? awesome. That's very fun. I'm so glad she told you that. <laughs> that blessed you. It did. And it her. Did. I was tickled. Right? Yeah. And it blesses me too. So do you have any updates for us from the COB Institute? Yes, we have some exciting things on the horizon. We have a TOB2 online oh, starting right. Uh, right after we complete the TOB2 in person. Mm -hmm. We're kind of doing a little experiment here to see you know, how many people come in person versus how many people take it online <laughs> when they're offered right in a row. So I believe it's the second week of October. Yes, second week of October, we're starting the TOB2 online. If you have already taken TOB1 and you've wanted to do the deeper dive, now's your chance. Mm -hmm. It's one of my favorite courses to teach. It used to be my favorite course to teach. And then I designed and taught the Mary course, which is now my favorite course to teach. But TOB2 is a close runner-up because we do a deep dive into the Song of Songs, the glorious erotic love poetry of the scripture. Saint after saint after saint turns to the Song of Songs for a language to understand and, and explain their own experience of interior union with Jesus. And what John Paul II, the light that he shines on it, uh, is just glorious, and I love, love, love leading our students through the Song of Songs. So that's not the whole of the course, but that's a big chunk of the course. So if you have already taken TOB1 and you've wanted to continue your journey, TOB2 is a great next step. So second week of October, check out the link in the notes below. And we have also in person, we have Father Timothy Gallagher coming to teach Theology of the Body and the Interior Life in November. That's the first full week of November, or maybe, wait, yeah, first full week of November. And it's it's a marriage of John Paul's Theology of the Body with St. Ignatius' principles of discerning spirits and 
understanding the inner movements of our hearts and what voice is speaking to me right now. Is that the Lord speaking to me? Is that the enemy speaking to me? Is that tapes from my childhood, like lies, I believe, speaking to me? It's really, Ignatius has given the church, really in terms of like the, the pinnacle of, of a language and a method to discern how is the Lord leading us in our interior lives Ignatius is the man who gave us the, the great gift that is, you know, it's it's bedrock stuff in terms of, of living the interior journey. Mm -hmm. So if you have not been exposed to it, you will really, really be blessed by it. That's, again, the, the first full week of November. And, of course, I cannot fail to mention, and we will be mentioning for the next year, that we are leading together, mm -hmm. meaning we, as in Wendy and I, will be leading a pilgrimage to France next October 2023. It's going to be a river cruise beginning in Paris. This is our first cruise pilgrimage, That's isn't right. it? That's right. First cruise pilgrimage. Shall we call it the love boat? <laughs> <laughs> no, we shan't. But I probably will again because I think it's kind of funny. Anyway, uh, Wendy and I are going to be your, your cruise directors on the love boat going up the Seine River in France. And the theme, we're going to be making lots of stops, um, not just in Lisieux, but um, Therese of Lisieux will be the... Wait, Therese, of, I get... Yeah, you're, I, you're right. I, I get her and Elizabeth Lisieux yeah. mixed up. Lisieux and Lisieux. No, this is Lisieux. Therese yeah. of Lisieux. And I'll just throw this in because I, you know, studied French way back in high school. Yes. In French, they don't call it le sou either. It's le sieur. So kind of sounds like le sur, oh, even right. more so in French. Right, right, right. But anyways. Yes, so we are going to be talking about the relationship between the little way and the theology of the body on this pilgrimage. And we also have an extension that begins in Lourdes, if you want to do the extension and go to Lourdes. Anyway, the link is in the show notes below. And... This boat, we're going to have the whole thing. So it's just going to be our pilgrimage group on this boat. We'll, I'm sure it will will sell out. Uh, I think there's 45 rooms, so there is a limit as to how many people can come. So if you're interested, sign up early. Love to have you. Yeah, we're looking forward to it already. Are you ready for a question from one of our patrons? Yes, indeed. Let's do it. This question is from Justin. Hello, Justin. For the past four years, I've been in an off and on relationship with this gal whom I met before joining the military. We are both single currently, but I believe I love her. Mm. My question is, how do I know that I truly love her? And it's not just the feelings of comfort she brings me as I travel all around the world. Wow, Justin, thank you for being so honest with yourself. The very fact that you are being that honest is a good indication at a minimum that you really want to love her right in all of us there's a battle between egoism and altruism right egoism meaning what's in this for me what do i get out of this and altruism how can i be a gift to the other how can i bless the other and i want to say this also that john paul talks about this in love and responsibility egoism is a distortion when we are selfishly involved for our own benefit, right? What can you give me? But 
the desire to receive something from the other is not bad, right? We Love is not only a giving, love is also a learning to receive. So don't think that your receiving comfort in this relationship is somehow wrong or or off. But yes, beware of the selfishness that can creep in there. I think, Justin, an indication that it's a genuine love is, are you also ready and willing to sacrifice yourself for her, for her good? John Paul says in Love and Responsibility that love matures as it becomes benevolent. And he means by that, I'm not only in it because I get some good out of it, but I'm in it because I desire the other's good, and I'm willing and ready to sacrifice myself for the good of the other. So, Justin, do you see that in your heart? Do you see a, a willingness to sacrifice yourself to uphold her good? That is a mark of genuine love. John Paul says the feelings, the comforts, the the you know, the things that attract us to the other or excite us about the other or bring some good to me, all of this can be and is raw material that can turn into genuine love. But he says if that raw material is not held together by the correct gravitational force, which is sacrificial love, then that same raw material can become not love, but its direct opposite. He says there's a tendency in the human heart to confuse the raw material with the finished form of love. But the very fact, Justin, that you are ready and willing to ask this question demonstrates that you are aware of those dangers and you are wanting mm-hmm. to avoid them. And that is the biggest indication that your relationship is on a on a good path. That's my sense of it. Wendy, what do you want to add here? I, I think it's really a beautiful thing that you have this time apart. Um, I think you're in a unique situation of kind of a, a genuine, you know, not, not being able because of your separation to kind of, uh, you know, spend all your time together. And it, so that's giving you a certain freedom. And it's probably impacting your questioning as well. You know, you're in a unique situation. I would really encourage this. It has been very helpful to me, or it was in my single stage of life anyway, to set aside maybe once a week in your prayer time that you're dedicating that to praying for God's will for her in just a focused way, whether you have maybe 30 minutes for your prayer time or something, that once a week, that that prayer time would just be desiring God's will for her. And if you do that in a recurring way, this is my experience, the Lord will kind of begin to bring things to your mind to pray more specifically for it goes from a general, I want God's will for you to like kind of your understanding of her and your sense of, you know, where there are places that in her life that great more grace is needed. That also has an effect of, of creating a deeper love that is not one that's grasping because it's so oriented toward what God wants for her that it, brings a greater freedom to accept that if 
if I'm not what God wants for her, I don't desire it for her. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Beautiful. that, but that isn't something we come to just by our own effort. It's the working of grace in in committed, you know, regular prayer time for that person. So that's what I would that, encourage you to do. That's a great word, Wendy. I, I, as you're speaking, I, I have an image of like training your heart muscle mm. in the direction of the other mm-hmm. training your like lifting like you know lifting weights or something you're you're stretching your muscles to to gain muscle mass learning to pray in that way and, and setting time aside specifically to pray for the other is like weight lifting for the heart muscle of love you know mm-hmm. you're 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 training your heart towards the good of the other and i know wendy i am the direct beneficiary of you doing that in your life i know you were praying for me in very specific ways long before you and I even started a dating relationship. And yeah, those prayers are effective. Thank you, love, for training your heart Mm. in that way. I want to suggest one more thing for Justin. Uh, Justin, my colleague at the TOB Institute, Jeanette Clark, and I taught a course this past summer on love and responsibility. And I had her on the YouTube channel recently, and she and I had a good discussion about our experience teaching that course, and we brought out some highlights from John Paul's Love and Responsibility that I think will really benefit you. So we'll put the link to that YouTube video in the show notes for this episode. Uh, Check that out. I think you'd really benefit. And Justin, thank you so much for your ongoing patronage of the work we do here at the TOB Institute. I hope you're taking advantage of all the benefits we offer our patrons And I invite any listener out there, if you have been inspired by the work we're doing here in this podcast or otherwise at the TOB Institute, would you prayerfully consider being a patron of this work? We cannot do the work that we do without the people who believe in what we do and support us. And the entry point for being a patron is just $10 a month to support the work of the Institute. We'd be so grateful if uh, you would consider that. So thanks, everybody. Our next question is from a listener named Mark. Hello, Mark. Mark asks, is sexual intimacy a need? I do not want to make my wife an object for my desire, yet I'm on fire. When she rejects me or shows no interest in physical intimacy, I struggle mightily. Mm. I try to give her quality time, but she's then disappointed when later I want sexual intimacy. Mm. She feels I'm just using her and wants freedom to say no. Mm. We're both devout Catholics trying hard to follow church teachings. We have three older kids and my wife is dreadfully scared of getting pregnant. As a result, we only have a small window each cycle where sexual intercourse is available and it can often be missed. This heightens my awareness and puts more pressure on those potential times. I love her and truly want it to be unconditional, yet I also need her. How do I unconditionally love my wife and not ask or expect anything of her when I have such strong needs that only she on earth can satisfy? And what am I able to ask and expect from my wife? Mark, I love you, brother. I love you, brother. You're so beautiful in your naked honesty here. This is just real life. This is real stuff. Uh, Every married couple can understand this question and the tensions on both sides of the male-female perspective. 
uh, something that really leapt out at me was she's afraid to get pregnant. Mm -hmm. So I, I want to speak into that. Maybe, Wendy, you'll want to speak into that. But I, I want to begin with the first line. Can you reread his first line, Wendy? Is sexual intimacy a need? Okay. Intimacy is an absolute need of every human being, right? When we add the word sexual to that, sexual intimacy, sexual intimacy is one kind of intimacy, a very beautiful, wonderful, amazing, sacred kind of intimacy, but it is not a human need uh, in the sense that we need air, we need water, we need food, right? You can, you can live, <laughs> you can survive without sexual intimacy, but the human being cannot survive without intimacy itself. And let's look at that, that word intimacy. The etymology, when you pick it apart, it, it means to, to be seen in your inmost, to have your inmost, your deepest reality exposed, seen, known, loved, acknowledged. And the marital embrace is a, a privileged way for a husband and a wife to, to experience intimacy, to have their inmost exposed. But we all know that we can go through the motions of a sexual encounter and not expose our inmost, have it not be an experience of intimacy. So, Mark, your situation is a cry of your heart for your inmost to be known, to be seen, to be loved. There's also this reality in our fallen humanity called concupiscence, which is the disorder of our passions, and concupiscence screams at us for, for relief, for an outlet, for, uh, for release. And confusing the need for intimacy and concupiscence is very common. Uh, maybe in as much as you have confused your desire for intimacy with concupiscence, and your wife has felt that, she has felt not an invitation to genuine intimacy, but an experience of maybe feeling used because there's a need that you experience that you can't control, and that maybe comes out to some degree in an attitude that your wife picks up on, and she resists, and understandably so. We are all wheat and weeds growing together here. And there are other sides. Let's flip to the other side. It's not just, well, if the man would just overcome his concupiscence, everything would be fine, because your wife has her own manifestations of concupiscence and her own fears and her own issues that she brings to the table that confuse things and make things difficult. It's, it's all, the image I have here in my mind in the fallen dynamic of male and female, fallen man, fallen woman, trying in the midst of their fallenness to experience real intimacy sexually, and all that gets confounded and frustrated and confused and all the things that come into the mix that make that not easy to experience, but full of complications and struggles and problems. 
when the man is digging his heels into his fallenness and the female is digging her heels into her fallenness, the image I have is like the Chinese uh, handcuffs thing when you, you you put your finger in in that little trap and you're pulling to get out of it and it just gets tighter and tighter and tighter. Mm. The only way out of that conflict, the only way out of that fallen dynamic of the uncomplementarity of our fallen human it's it's complementary in the sense that it drives us away from each other whereas the complementarity of the beginning before sin entered the picture the complementarity drew us together mm -hmm. now the complementarity of our fallenness is like that chinese handcuff thing you're 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 in a trap that you can't get out of you need a savior you need the new wine of cana uh, Wendy and I need the new wine of Cana. Just the just what it was it two weeks ago, we we had a situation where a similar situation to what you're describing in how do we navigate different desires for for our sexual union. And I had a little frustration come out, exploding, kind of venting, mm -hmm. and it, I hurt you, Wendy, about it. And when we talked through it, and we discovered again, our need for grace. Yes. And I had to look at some deep issues in my life that I didn't want to look at. And I thought I'd already looked at, and I thought I'd already been there, already done that. <laughs> but no, there's more. I got to look at more. And I had to look at this dynamic in my life. I was just journaling about this just a few days ago, where deep in, I, I, like I, I was taken back to a place in my soul of yearning for the breast as an infant. Mm. And the image that came to me was woman has what I want and she's not giving it to me. And mm. I had this image of me in a rage in my crib, like incredible Hulk turning green, hulking mm. out rage because I have this need. I have this ache. I have this longing and woman has what I want and I'm totally, utterly dependent on her to give it to me. And that puts me in a place of fear, uh, puts me in a place of like the power struggle. I want what you have and there's no way I can get it unless you give it to me. Aren't you going to give it to me? Why won't you give it to me? And then it becomes anger, then it becomes resentment, then it becomes bitterness. Mm. And that is a recipe for living in hell. Mm. Um, and, and it's, it's visceral and it's, it's, it can manifest itself in all kinds of, of uh, ways that we relate, not just to our wives, but to women in general. It can manifest itself in domination and control of woman, which makes her feel terribly wounded and isolated and unloved. And it creates just a dynamic of inability to really relate. But what do we really desire? We don't, what we really desire is intimacy, to have my inmost seen and known and loved. And Wendy, that night, uh, we had a long conversation about that little blow up we had. Mm. And we experienced a genuine opening of our hearts to one another. Yeah. That was true into me, see. Right? Intimacy, if, if you pick apart that word in one sense, uh, it's just a clever little rhyme. It's not the actual etymology, but it, it's helpful. Into me see. Intimacy. Into me see. We want to be seen. We want to be known. 
Mark, I would invite you to an, a place of altruistic willingness to hear your wife's heart, to, let, to invite her to share what her experience has been in your marriage of your marriage bed. Has, and where are her fears coming from? Why, why is she kind of, sounds like anyway, from the way you put your question, she said, I want to have the freedom to say no. Well, that's, that's understandable. Because if, if she doesn't have freedom to say no, her yes doesn't really mean much. And if you don't have freedom to say no, your yes doesn't really mean much. I also want to hold out, Mark, that there is hope in all of this convoluted wheat and weeds reality growing together. Uh, your fallenness intertwined with your genuine humanity, which is good and true and beautiful. Your wife's fallenness intertwined with her genuine humanity, which is true and good and beautiful trying to navigate the, the path to real into me see can be treacherous, treacherous. And John Paul II says it, it's, it's tortuous, it's twisted up, it's torted, it's contorted. But he also says grace can make straight those tortuous paths of love. And the image here is the new wine of Cana. Mark, I'm going to invite you to something. It might sound like it's not what you really want, because when that urge is kicking in and you're feeling it, you think what you want is sexual union. And there's something to that, right? Touch and the touch of sexual intimacy, the, the, the reality of what sexual intimacy is, is a beautiful, sacred, holy, wonderful thing in its right place and experienced from a place of genuine altruistic giving. But when it's coming from a need that you can't control, I can understand why your wife might recoil. Because when it's coming from a need you can't control, she feels not seen and known and loved and honored, but she probably feels like some outlet for you to express this need. That is the reality that needs to die. The, the, the compulsion, right? Sexual liberation held out to us by our culture is held out to us as the, the freedom to indulge your compulsion. Whereas true sexual freedom is not the liberty to indulge your compulsion, but it's liberation from the compulsion to indulge. Because only to the degree that we are liberated from the compulsion to indulge can we be a true gift to one another. And Mark, I hear this in your question, that you want to be that gift. You want to be that true gift. I, I want to be that true gift to you, Wendy. Mm -hmm. And yet I, I have to confront also my broken humanity. And there, Mark, in that place, Suppose you're in that place of yearning. You're in that place of your bodily desire for union, and it's not possible. What do you do with that cry of your heart? We have to find a way to open it heavenward. Eros, that yearning of the heart, which we, we so often think can only find its fulfillment in sexual intimacy, in sexual union. Eros, at its deepest level, is a desire for infinite union with God, right? And here scripture uses the very image of the marital embrace 
to paint a picture for us, to give us a window, to give us a sacramental symbol, to give us an icon of, of the kind of union we're called to with God. Right? Adam knew his wife Eve, it says in Genesis. Jesus uses the same word to describe heaven. This is eternal life, that you would know the one mm. true God. Mark, that eros, that yearning, which you are understandably desiring fulfillment in your marriage, that's fine and right and good in as far as marriage can provide us a sacrament, a sign, an icon of what we really desire. I, I, I speak from experience here. There has been a tremendous pressure relieved from our marriage and from our marriage bed to the extent, I don't do it perfectly, but to the extent that I have learned through painful trials, through running into my own junk and running into your pain, Wendy, in our marriage and looking honestly at it and where it comes from, uh, where my brokenness contributes to that pain, I have learned through painful trials to, to open that yearning in prayer to the eternal reality of union with God that can become a lived experience here and now. Saint after saint after saint talks about it. And we, we, have, we have two options here in married life and in any vocation, in any life. We have two options, mysticism or neurosis. And by mysticism, I mean learning the journey, going on the journey, learning the ways of opening eros to that infinite union. That's what prayer really is. Uh, Pope Benedict XVI says, when the Christian prays, he is seeking nuptial union with love eternal. Nuptial union with love eternal. That's the ultimate fulfillment of eros. That's what we cannot live without, that intimacy with God. And the more we enter into that intimacy with the Lord, the more we are able to enter into genuine intimacy with our spouse without demanding that our spouse be what only God can be. Mm -hmm. When we do that, and I know I was falling into it just a couple weeks ago, I was seeing this all over again in my own life, that I was putting demands on you, Wendy, that only God can fulfill. And, and I need to enter into, right now in this season of my life, I need to enter into a deeper detachment from our marital embrace. A, a deeper detachment doesn't mean that I, I don't love our union. It means I'm not demanding of it what it cannot provide, what only God can provide. I yearn, if I look honestly at my yearning for love, for union, for intimacy, if I look honestly at the shape of eros in my heart, I love you, Wendy, but you, you, can't, you can't fulfill it. <laughs> you, you can be and you are a beautiful sacrament to me of the ultimate fulfillment, but you can't be that ultimate fulfillment. And, and in as much as I expect you to be, I'm putting a demand on you that you can't fulfill. And when you feel that demand that I'm putting on you wrongly, I know there's something in your heart that, that, 
knows that's not right and even recoils because it's not right. Uh, I, I cannot stress enough, and I know I'm kind of rambling at this point. I hope some of what I'm saying is landing and helpful, but I cannot stress enough how John Paul II's vision of what human sexuality is as an icon of the eternal has given us in our marriage a map for navigating these very difficult, often tense, very painful realities in our in our own married life. Uh, I'm going to stop there because I, I know I've been rambling, but um, <laughs> Wendy, shine a light, shine your feminine uh, light no, here. No, no, you're beautiful. Thank you for sharing all that you shared, Christopher. It's very honest and I I I know sometimes people think we just must have this amazing marriage and you know it's it's good to be like sometimes a little more specific and saying like no we really do struggle and I was talking with my spiritual director about the very thing that you shared about about the tensions in our relating and one of the things she said to me is um that the the evil one wants to make us think the whole situation is a mess, you know, just wants us to think it's to, to not see that grace is at work at all. Mm-hmm. And, and I can feel that in Mark's wording of the question is almost like, like grace isn't doing anything for mm-hmm. me in here. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm trying and it's not working for me at all. And I I think that, you know, you have to recognize you were talking earlier about Ignatian discernment, where where even in our kind of telling of the story or crying out, those can be moments where we kind of get an insight. And an insight here is like the evil one wants you to believe that this is a hopeless situation and not recognize the movements of grace over the course of the years of your marriage that have already taken place in her and in you and together. But there's also, I feel like just a deep call going on here for Mark in a particular way because he cannot control his wife. And I think that's part of the frustration is her taking the steps she needs to on her journey is in her control. He can't make her do it. And that is, I can feel in the question, so frustrating. And it can kind of turn his own journey into kind of like, if I do this, will it change her? If I do this, will it change right, her? Right. And and instead, what the Lord really wants is to is to speak the truth of His eternal love as a counter to the lies that have come in through all this struggle. Amen. Amen. So that's where your prayer can get very specific, you know, and it, we need to get specific in prayer. If we just kind of keep going, here's this whole mess, fix it, Lord, without taking a, a look at the smaller steps, the the individual, say, lies or things that we're feeling that the Lord can minister to in an ongoing way over our journey, if we keep it in this big, huge thing, it's all together and it's a disaster, we don't actually experience or see progress. It's that the key in our prayer is to take it, you know, like in a very specific way. What what did she say or how did she look at me or how did I feel? What was the message? And like you shared about that image of yourself as a child in this yeah. or an infant and in this anger and powerlessness, like that kind of steps in our prayer life is what allows us to experience the Lord 
mm. knowing and loving us. And that's the loving. intimacy we really That's the intimacy. For. That's and, the intimacy we can't live without. Right. And so that, I think sometimes, you know, we, and I'm not saying this is your situation, Mark, and your wife, but I experienced this myself in kind of trusting somehow, if I live for you, Lord, I'm going to have like this certain kind of happy life that right. I want, right? right. I'm going to have this certain kind of happy marriage that I want because I, I'm yours, Right. So surely you're going to give it to me. Right. Right. And that in the, in the end is kind of like a conditional love yeah. of God. Yes. Yes. You know, you talk about wanting to love your spouse unconditionally. Like we're telling God, like, OK, I'm doing this for you. So you do this for me. Right. And and that part has to be purified mm -hmm. in our hearts where we come back to like, what does he really promise? He's never leaving us. He's never leaving us. Whatever we experience in our lives. He's never leaving us. He's with us on this journey. And if he feels like he's so far away, that's where we need to go in prayer and ask for the process of taking down those walls and closing that distance that's been formed between us so that we can experience he's truly with us. He's mm. truly loving us intimately. And that is, we all need deeper life change. We all need it. We pray it for you, Mark, and your wife. Yes, Mark, and I'm going to hold out one more thought to you here. You need the love of a perfect woman. You need it. And your wife needs the love of a perfect man. She needs it. And neither of you are perfect. So neither of you can supply what you really need, <laughs> which means you have to find a perfect woman. And guess what? There is one. Her name is Mary. She's the only one. She's the only perfect woman there ever was. And your, your, this, this yearning for woman, uh, this yearning for intimacy with woman, which your wife cannot provide you in the way that you need it, there is a woman, her name is Mary, who wants to have an intimate relationship with you, who knows you thoroughly, and true devotion to Mary Part of that true devotion is, is learning how to take those yearnings, uh, and, and you might be thinking, whoa, wait a minute, Christopher, these are sexual yearnings. How do I take that to the Blessed Mother? That's, that's blasphemous. What? Well, totus tuus Maria. It was John Paul II's papal motto. Everything is yours. There's no exception there. He doesn't say everything is yours except my sexual desires. Right? Within Mary, within the mystery of Mary, is the mystery of Christ, our Redeemer. And St. Louis de Montfort says, when we pour ourselves into Mary, we give her also what Louis de Montfort calls our base metals, things that are, are, are in need of purification, right? Your sexual desires, Mark, like my sexual desires, like your wife's sexual desires, like every human being's sexual desires, mm -hmm. are in need of purification. We put our base metals into the fiery furnace of Mary's womb, says Louis de Montfort, and she melts them down and turns them into gold. I have experienced this over and over and over again in my life, where, Wendy, you're not able to meet a need I have. Um, and, and when I get to a place where I stop demanding that you do, I learn how to redirect that need heavenward. And sometimes it's, it's the Lord that shows up, uh, Jesus, sometimes it's the Father, sometimes it's the Holy Spirit, sometimes it's the Blessed Mother. 
I'm telling you, Mark, there is an into me see that you can have with Mary that will take a, a tremendous burden off of your marriage. And, and your, the more you learn to receive that love from Mary, the more you will, you will learn to love your wife without placing burdens on her that she can't fulfill. And, and also to pray for your wife in her need for a perfect man. You're not it. <laughs> the perfect man she needs is Jesus Christ, her bridegroom. Uh, commend her to Jesus. Commend her over and over to her true bridegroom. Uh, the, the, the purpose of your sacrament in a very real way is to lead her to deeper intimacy with Jesus and to lead you to deeper intimacy with Mary. And of course, it goes both ways to lead her to an intimacy with Mary and to lead you to an intimacy with Jesus. That's the path of a sacramental marriage. And you're on it, brother. Mm -hmm. Keep going. Yes. Keep going. Your honesty is so prevalent. Your desire for the true, the good, and the beautiful is so prevalent. I think you're, you're facing a fire right now of purification that is painful. Press in, press through the glory on the other side as we allow our, our, our desires to be purified. You can't tell me it's not worth fighting for. You can't tell me it's not worth dying for, in the words of the prophet Brian Adams. Amen. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> our next question is from an anonymous listener who says, Dear Christopher and Wendy, the more I listen to your podcast, the more questions I have about TOB. Don't get me wrong, it has helped me so much in learning the Catholic faith, but there's always more. For example, if marriage is a sacrament of Christ's love for the church, why is marriage only until death? Christ's love for the church goes beyond death. On a similar note, why does the Song of Songs say love is strong as death instead of stronger than death? Aha! Good questions. <laughs> Okay, um, read the first one. I, I started getting sidetracked by the Song of Songs. Okay, read, yeah. Read, read uh, the first one. Um, why is marriage only until death? Basically? Why is marriage only until death? It is only until death precisely because it is a sacrament. There are no sacraments in heaven. Why are there no sacraments in heaven? There are no sacraments in heaven because they will have fulfilled their raison d'etre, their reason for being. Sacraments are earthly signs of heavenly realities. When the marriage of Christ and the church comes, when the marriage of Christ and the church is consummated in eternity, you no longer need a sign to point you to Disney World because you're in Disney World. You've arrived. You're there. The, the, whole, the whole purpose of the sacrament is to give us an earthly taste of the heavenly reality. When the heavenly reality is there, you no longer need the sign to point you there. That's why Jesus says in the resurrection, they're no longer given in marriage. I would urge you, please, to read, uh, if you haven't already, Theology of the Body for Beginners. Uh, and if you've already read that, then go to Theology of the Body Explained, which is much more in detail, where I, I explain all of this in, in some detail. Regarding the Song of Songs, Love is Strong as Death, versus love is stronger than death. There are some translations that say love is stronger than death. And I, I prefer those translations because it makes the point even clearer. But I'm, I'm just going to zoom in on, on something Pope Benedict XVI says. He says, this cry of the heart, which is eros, right? E-R-O-S, eros. 
this erotic longing of the heart for a love that is strong as death or for a love that is stronger than death. And I, I think you are very, very in touch with the desire of your heart when you say, why does it not say stronger? Let's just go with stronger because it's a legitimate interpretation. Love is stronger than death. The cry of the heart for a love that is stronger than death, says Pope Benedict, takes us to the fundamental reality of human existence in the world. What? Yep. What is it? He says, the heart cries out for infinite joy, for infinite love, for infinite happiness, but it is confronted by what seems to be the utter finality of death. And then Pope Benedict XVI says, the resurrection, the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ is God's response to the cry of Eros in the human heart. Ponder that. Take that mm. to prayer. Take that to heart. Easter Sunday. Do, when we go to Easter Sunday Mass, are we walking in there thinking, this is the response to Eros? This is the response to the erotic longing of my heart? I'm going to turn back to, to Mark's question that we just addressed. Mark, every, every, everything you yearn for in that erotic longing of your heart is answered by the resurrection of Jesus Christ on Easter morning. If we can't connect those dots, then we're going to be aiming arrows in the wrong directions. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, the bodily resurrection, is the declaration from heaven that there is a love stronger than death. There is a love that has conquered death. That death is not the final word in the language of the body, as St. John Paul II says. The final word, the definitive word in the language of the body is the resurrection of the body into the marriage, the love, the union that lasts forever. The Bible begins with the marriage of man and woman, but it ends with the marriage of Christ and the church. As I said earlier, Adam knew his wife Eve, and Jesus says this is eternal life, that we would know the one true God and Jesus Christ. What we really yearn for, what we really long for, the answer to the cry of the heart for love, for union, for intimacy, is not the union of man and woman, as beautiful and wonderful as that is. That's only the sign, the shadow, the, the glimmer that points us to a far greater reality, which is the union of Christ and the church. And that marriage can only be entered into by passing over from death to life. Mm. That's the Paschal mystery. The Paschal mystery is a nuptial mystery because what happened on the cross was the consummation of the mystical marriage of Christ and the church, opening the way for us to pass through death. We all have to endure it, but to pass through death into resurrection. And, and Pope Benedict XVI says, the resurrection of Jesus Christ declares that that erotic cry from the lovers in the Song of Songs for a love that is strong or stronger than death, it's not just a dream. It's not just some vague cry of the heart. There's a response from heaven 
It's the resurrection. Mm. It's the marriage of the Lamb. I just think it's great that you posed your questions and that you're feeling the questions and that you would acknowledge like, wow, I listen, and then new questions come. I just think that's a beautiful dynamism going on in your faith life. And Christopher and I have been sharing recently about praying for, and as the prayers of the, the rosary, in the opening prayers of the rosary, we pray for the increase in faith, increase in hope, increase in love. And I think we're in your questions, we're seeing your increasing faith hope and love and desire for that to increase even more. We share that desire with you. Mm -hmm. Amen. If you have been blessed by this episode, would you please hit that share button? And would you leave a review wherever you listen to this podcast? That also helps us in the algorithms of, you know, how these episodes get disseminated to reach more people. We, we love the thought of more and more people getting to hear this good news, and we need your help to do that. Thank you so much. Until next time, may you know it in your bones that you are an indispensable, irreplaceable, unrepeatable gift. Become what you are. Ask Christopher West is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione. Christopher and Wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you are going through serious difficulty, a list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes.